where I work in-house as an in-house counsel. All right, excellent, thank you. And our two um, guest speakers today, who are not members of Kensington Temple, but um, have um, uh, kindly joined us today. We've got Tim and Esther. So, Tim. Morning, everyone. My name's Tim. Um, I'm an employment solicitor uh, based in, in Warrington. All right, thank you, Tim. And um, Esther? Hello, everyone. My name is Esther Godwins. I'm an employment law consultant and um, I do advocacy work in the tribunals. I work with AQ Archers and Free Bolt Courts Chambers. All right, thank you very much. All right, so I'm just going to run through the agenda. Um, today, we're going to um, hear from Daniel. He's going to share briefly about Kensington Temple. And then um, we're also going to then move on into the talk where we'll have both Tim and Esther talking to us on employment law. And then we'll have a session by, from Esther Anato. And then we'll move into the questions and answer session. So if you have any questions, can I please ask that you set, put your questions on the chat? So if you have any questions for Tim and um, Esther, please put your questions on the chat. We're going to be monitoring the questions on the chat and we'll deal with your questions during the Q&A. Can I also please mention that um, this session, the information being given by our, our speakers does not amount to legal advice. We're just giving guidance. It's not legal advice. If you need um, representation or further uh, information or help, uh, we can direct you to where you can get that or uh, we can do that in a separate platform. Also, um, this webinar is being recorded and it's going to appear on our church's website as well as our church TV, that's KTTV. Um, in a minute, Daniel is going to share more about Kensington Temple Church. But if you are new to KT or have never heard of um, Kensington Temple, um, hello, welcome. For those of you that are already um, KT uh, family and friends, hello again. <laughs> Can I also ask that you please kindly put on the chat how you heard about this webinar. We just want to find out how different people have heard about the webinar. So please put it on the chat. I heard about it on Facebook or Premier Radio or at church or where through a friend, just put it on the, on the chat. Thank you. And um, also, um, I think that's it from me. Um, again, throughout the webinar, put your questions on the chat and we'll look, deal with them during the, um, during the Q&A. And if you have any, any prayer requests, can we also ask that you put your prayer requests on the chat. At the end of the session, we're gonna have a period where we'll go into prayers, we'll pray for you. And um, before we end this webinar, we will uh, pray for you, pray for your needs in relation to your employment law situation that is. And um, again, put any questions you have on the chat, any prayer requests you have on the chat, we will deal with them at the end. And um, I, that's it from me. Thank you very much. And um, Daniel. Oh, uh, welcome, uh, everyone, on behalf of senior leader, Pastor Colin and Amanda Dyer. Uh, our church is situated in West London, that's uh, Notting Hill Gate. And, um, we have a lot of network churches scattered all over London, and we have small fellowship groups as well, known as cell groups. And uh, small groups are a group of facilitating uh, members who kind of 
encourage our members to be involved in the society. Uh, in KTC, we have what we call um, sub-groups. Uh, we have what we call the giant uh, ministry, which is a group of uh, professionals uh, who are encouraged to communicate with their community based on their professions. And this forum we are today, the uh, law forum is part of that giant. And we encourage our members to use their skill and professionalism to be involved in their community so as to be part of the community. And um, like I said, the church is now fully online. All our services are online, but our traditional uh, way of worship is normally on Sundays, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 2.30 and 5.30 services. But now you can fellowship with us online. We are fully online. And um, we welcome you to be part of us and be part of what God is doing in our church as we reach our community with our professional skills. Thank you. Thank you very much, Daniel. Again, uh, for those of you who have just joined us, this session is being filmed, it's being recorded, and will appear on our church's website as well as our church TV, that's KTTV. If you have any questions in relation to employment law, please put them on the chat. We will deal with them during the Q&A. And um, if you have any prayer requests in, in relation to your employment law situation, again, put it on the chat and we will deal with this at the end. Um, if you, uh, and also please note that the, the information being given by our speakers does not amount to legal advice, but is um, just guidance. All right, thank you. So, um, Mamiya. Well, thank you for this time that you're bringing us together. We pray that everybody on this, uh, in this webinar will be blessed and helped and leave um, encouraged. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are going to start with our first speaker, Tim Granger, who is the partner responsible for employment law at the firm of solicitors of Fiona Bruce um, LLP. And um, okay, thank you very much, Tim. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. No, thanks very much for uh, inviting me to speak. It's it's uh, a privilege to be able to, to do this, um, and hopefully, what we'll be able to uh, to share will be of some assistance to you uh, going going forward. Um, just in terms of the sort of work that I do, um, I act both for claimants and for respondents um, at all stages of employment matters. So, um, hopefully, what I'm able to to bring today is a fairly um, a fairly wide view as to um, employment matters that are that are, are relevant particularly to us in light of, of COVID-19. So we have a, a series of, um, of, of PowerPoints here of slides which um, I think are hopefully going to be uh, be shown whilst I, whilst I talk through. So, um, so there we are, um, the, the wonder of technology. Um, so we'll, we'll work through those um, bit by bit. So we're thinking about the impact of, of COVID-19 so um, just begin with a quote, first of all, um, from UN Deputy Secretary General uh, Amina Mohammed, um, which you'll see there. Uh, we are facing a human crisis unlike any we have experienced. Our social fabric and cohesion is under stress. And this was a comment that, uh, that she made on the 8th of April 2020. Um, we, of course, know that COVID-19 has had a massive impact. Um, it is a health crisis, but, but certainly uh, it, it is perhaps even more notably now becoming an economic crisis and as such this is something that um, as, as employment lawyers and 
frankly, as, as those of us who are employees and those of us who employ people, um, it's, it's becoming something that needs to be considered. Um, the question that we have to think about is what does this brave new world look like from an employment law perspective? So I've been asked to, to think about um, five particular topics um, which we'll work through together. Um, there's quite a lot in each of these, um, so we'll, we'll try and get through as much as we can. Um, the first topic that I'd like us to think about is in relation to those employees who have been uh, previously placed on furlough and then selected for redundancy for economic reasons. What are their rights? What options do they have going forward? Second topic, thinking about home working, um, which has been described as the new normal. Um, what does that look like? Can an employer force its employees to return to the workplace? Um, the third topic then is in relation to settlement agreements. Um, in relation to employees who are being asked to sign settlement agreements as part of a COVID-19 exit package, some things for us to consider there. Fourth topic, a uh, simple question, is it a, a valid, is a valid reason for not returning to work, the risk of high infection through the use of public transport? And then the final topic for us to consider, racism in the workplace, what do you do if you believe that your employer is using the COVID-19 pandemic as a reason to discriminate against you? So let's start then just with the, the first uh, topic and think about that in, in a bit of detail. You'll all be very aware, of course, of the uh, coronavirus job, job retention scheme that was put together by the government. Of course, the difficulty with this scheme was that this is the type of scheme that usually uh, would be months and perhaps even years in the making. But of course, it was something that had to be put together very, very quickly. That, I have to say, has... Um, created perhaps some more problems in that certainly I had an awful lot of inquiries uh, from, from, from both employers and employees who were asking lots of questions about the scheme and it was difficult trying to find various ways of, of answering the, the question and very often I'm afraid I had to say I'm just not sure what the answer is going to be, we have to wait and see how things develop. Um, as you'll be aware the, the online scheme um, went uh, live on the um, 20th of, of April and the until the end of October. Um, it's been extended until then and from the 1st of July there's a flexible um, part of the scheme which is coming into operation allowing employees to return to work on a part-time basis. But just in relation to some of the guidance that we have around the scheme, um, it does confirm that an employee can be made redundant whilst on furlough or afterwards um, and that an employee's redundancy rights will not be affected uh, by being furloughed. Um, just made a note there, you'll maybe remember this comment that was made by the aviation minister there in relation to how British Airways were um, dealing with some employees um, at the time and um, uh, whilst there was some criticism there. Um, what I've actually seen in my own practice is that a lot of employers are doing the same thing uh, in that uh, people that are on furlough um, are effectively being retained on furlough. Um, their notice period is being served there um, and they're very often um, being made redundant subsequently. We'll come back to that. We just go on to the next slide. Um, good for us just to think to just go back to basics really, think about what, what redundancy actually is and the statutory definition there. Um, section 139 of the Employment Rights Act. Um, so it's set out there in the slide in terms of, of what redundancy uh, looks like we've got a business closure, workplace closure, diminished requirements of uh, the business uh, for employees to do work of a particular kind. In essence, we have um, uh, uh, 
place redundancy, I suppose, and, and, uh, and job redundancy to us was more straightforward ways of, um, of, of looking at it. Um, there's some settled case law there in terms of um, the Safeway Storage and Pearl case and, and Murray in terms of the, the three-stage test for applying whether or not Section 139 uh, applies. Um, so was the employee dismissed? If so, are the requirements of the business uh, for employees to carry out work of a particular kind ceased or diminished? Uh, and if so, was the dismissal of the employee caused totally or mainly by the state of affairs identified as stage two um, above? Um, and if the answer to that is yes to all three, then there will be um, a redundancy dismissal. Of course, as you'll know, um, redundancy is one of the potentially fair reasons for dismissal. Um, and I find that in my practice, it is, um, it is always challenging, really, if, if an employee is coming to me saying that I have been made redundant um, and I want to challenge that decision, because very often um, if an employer goes through a redundancy process and is thorough enough, it, it is, in my experience, quite difficult to be successful in employment tribunal um, unless there has been um, clear evidence of a, of a sham redundancy, of a poorly put together consultation and that kind of thing. Um, just on to the next slide, um, something which is relevant at the moment, um, which is, uh, I suppose, unprecedented, is that um, those that are perhaps on furlough at present and are being contacted by their employer um, in relation to redundancy consultation, it is, of course, very much like how we're doing this meeting today, um, very often virtual meeting, um, so whether that be through Zoom or uh, Microsoft Teams or whatever it may be, now, um, for those of us that are reasonably tech savvy, and I'm just about tech savvy, um, but there are many others who, as employees, perhaps um, are not so and would find it very difficult. Um, and of course, a face-to-face -face meeting, a face-to-face -face consultation is always so much better um, when, you're, when you're dealing with people uh, for many reasons. Uh, and therefore, there is the question as to whether, um, I suppose, the fairness of consultations virtually um, uh, needs to be considered and needs to be, needs to be tested. Um, of course, as you know, the, the employer must follow collective consultation rules if uh, uh, 20 or more employees are being made redundant within any 90-day period at a single establishment. There aren't set rules to follow if there's fewer than 20 uh, redundancies that are being found, but it is good practice for an employer, in my view, to consult uh, employees and their, and their representatives um, in that type of a situation. Um, just over on to the next slide, um, I'm trying to get to the heart of things, I suppose, fairly quickly. Um, essentially, an employee's rights are the same when on furlough when it comes to redundancy. Um, the, the position straightforwardly is that, um, as is happening now, um, a lot of um, employees are, are, if they're still on furlough, unfortunately, the risk is that the longer they're on furlough, the more likely it is that um, they are going to be at risk of redundancy. Um, but, but nevertheless, their, their rights remain the same. So therefore, um, if there is to be a proper um, uh, process that's to be carried out in terms of consultation, then in the usual way, the employee has the right to be accompanied by their work colleague or trade union rep at the consultation meeting and meetings going forward. Um, that, of course, again, going back to our previous point, is, is not particularly straightforward these days, uh, because again, um, if it is to be a virtual meeting, then it's having that other person present. There's the, 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 the constant difficulty of having a work colleague who's prepared to, to sit in that meeting, um, which isn't always the case because understandably that work colleague may be concerned about their own job. Um, and then, of 
course, the trade union rep, um, it isn't always um, it isn't always applicable, and, and I think it's quite outdated, unfortunately, the guidance because trade union reps aren't, aren't always uh, uh, it's not always applicable that they can assist in these sorts of situations. Um, in the same way, of course, there is always the right to appeal a decision um, uh, in relation to redundancy, and, and I would always I would always advise a client to appeal a decision um, on the basis that if the matter is to be taken to tribunal. Um, that appeal letter, of course, would form part of the tribunal bundle. And therefore, I would always advise that um, if you do take issue with the redundancy, um, it's important to commit that to writing and be very clear as to, as to why that, that is the case. Um, we know, of course, that um, an employee, an employee and not a worker, um, who's been employed for over two years uh, is entitled to a redundancy payment. Um, so again, if you're in the position where uh, you're being told that you're to be made redundant, then it's worth checking that what's being proposed by way of figures is correct. There is a straightforward, uh, very helpful website, gov.uk website, which uh, helps you to work out your calculation. So that's a way of just checking that what's being uh, what's being offered is correct. Um, I think one of the um, one of the big challenges, which I think unfortunately is going to bring about an awful lot of litigation in the months ahead when the tribunals open open for face to face hearings again is that I think a lot of employers are trying to fast track redundancies at present. Um, and that can mean very often that consultation processes are not particularly uh, thorough. Sometimes they're badly, uh, badly worked through. Um, and um, I, I think that unfortunately, uh, that's going to be tested in the months ahead with um, understandably a lot of employees being concerned um, and potentially raising uh, concerns initially uh, internally, then of course through ICAS, the early consultation process. And then ultimately, possibly through uh, through tribunal uh, as well. Um, just a note there, in relation to uh, anything that's awarded the tribunal, of course, if there has been a redundancy payment, that's offset against the the final award, which typically uh, can be no more than a year's salary in an unfair dismissal claim. Um, so, so I think really just to to sum up that first topic, um, fairly broadly speaking, uh, the position is that if uh, if as an employee. Um, you are still on furlough. Your rights remain the same. However, um, I think that um, it is more challenging um, for the employer to make sure that they do everything correctly. Um, and frankly, just the important thing as an employee is to uh, to seek to cooperate with the process, but also to challenge it where appropriate, um, and to make sure that if you do have any concerns, you raise those uh, raise those in writing, raise those very specifically, um, so that those can be dealt with by by the, the employer. We just move on then to the uh, the second topic um, in relation to home working, um, which has become uh, very normal. I think now for for a lot of us, it's it's always difficult. I think for for those of us who have young children, um, and uh, we've been working from home perhaps, and uh, juggling juggling work and uh, and young children uh, is uh, is not difficult. It's not easy to do, and I think that's been one of the real challenges that people have had out there. Um, of course, we know Google um, have recently announced that they. Um, have extended their work from home policy for the remainder of this year. We may well say that they're, of course, very well set up for that, but um, they consider that something that will be uh, will be extended until the end of the year. Um, the government guidance at present, of course, still is essentially if you can work from home, then you should work from home, um, and that that remains um, something to uh, to bear in mind. It remains remains good guidance. Now, um, of course, the position is if. Um, we're now getting to the stage very often where employers are uh, wanting uh, employees to come back, perhaps from either from furlough or now saying to them, well, 
we know that you've been working from home, but we, we would now like you back in the office. Um, and that really takes us to the heart of, of, of the question. Now, of course, I said that in, in normal times, um, a requirement for an employee to attend work would be a reasonable management instruction. Um, and failure to do so, of course, would lead to disciplinary uh, action. Um, the, the challenge now, of course, is, is the issue particularly of social distancing. Um, and whilst at the moment it's two metres, we hear it's going to be reviewed in the coming days. I think there is something on the BBC website today about that. But in any event, it'll be two metres or, or certainly one metre. And of course, the question is, if, for example, you happen to work in a, uh, an open plan office, um, how, uh, how viable will it be uh, in, that, in that situation? Um, if you, for example, have a shared kitchen, uh, shared toilets, all of that um, brings with it some problems, understandably. Uh, that means that employees have concerns and are concerned that they're being asked to return to the workplace that they may consider uh, is, is unsafe. Um, so if we just move on to the next slide, please. Um, uh, this was uh, something which um, I, I came across really through reading um, an article from the Employment Lawyers Association, which, which I found very helpful actually. And it's um, particular sections of the Employment Rights Act, which um, I've not come across, I have to confess, very often. Um, and of course, these, these particular sections were drafted prior to any global pandemic. But it may well be that these sections are, um, are tested in tribunal going forward. So sections 44 and 100. So section 44 provides employees with the right not to be subjected to a detriment by their employer should they take certain steps in connection with health and safety. And in particular, particular section 44.1d says that an employee is protected against detriment when, and then quoting, in circumstances of danger, which they reasonably believe to be serious and imminent, they then left or proposed to leave or refused to return to the workplace. And in section 41, uh, 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 subsection 1e, an employee is protected when they take uh, appropriate steps to protect themselves or others from danger. Um, so of course, what this then brings to mind is if we have an employee who is saying, um, I don't feel the workplace is safe for me to return to. Um, I don't think that social distancing can be maintained. Um, I'm concerned that perhaps there isn't sufficient cleaning going on, um, and I, I don't feel I can um, I don't feel I can go back to the workplace as a result. That takes us to the question of can the employer then force the employee to come back in? Um, and this particular section would suggest, of course, that uh, an employee um, has the right not to be subjected to a detriment. So, for example, that could be um, a disciplinary measure, um, a sanction which could be a warning, or uh, it could even amount to dismissal. So it's an interesting section, um, and I'm not sure, uh, as I say, if that's going to be something that we'll, we'll see in litigation coming forward, but I can see the argument being uh, tested. And section 100 there provides protection against dismissal when in the reasonable opinion of the employee, the prevailing circumstances represent a real risk of serious and imminent danger, which they could not reasonably expect it to avert. Um, and I think what's really interesting here, um, there's some case law on this, which I've quoted below. Um, that if an employer disagrees with an employee as to whether there were circumstances of danger, this will not by itself prevent the employee from holding a reasonable belief. Um, so that's interesting, of course, because as you've experienced, I'm sure, with this pandemic, everyone approaches it differently. Um, but uh, it may well be the case that an employee does hold a reasonable belief, uh, even if an employer disagrees with it. And again, that's likely to bring um, some interesting um, arguments, I think, going, going forward. 
Um, just on to the next slide, please. Um, I've, I've just a, a link here, which hopefully you'll be able to access, okay, and you may well have seen anyway, but some really good guidance from ACAS in terms of working from home um, in light of the pandemic. Um, it's, a, it's an excellent piece of guidance, and I would refer you to it if you have any particular questions in relation to it. Um, it says that, for example, if you're um, working from home, an employer should, should still check uh, that the employee feels that the, the work that they're being asked to do at home can be done safely, that they have the right equipment to work safely, uh, managers to keep in contact with employees, and any reasonable adjustments are made for an employee who has a disability. Um, again, I think that's really helpful guidance. And um, again, one of the um, other um, uh, uh, pieces of guidance ACAS have produced, which I, I've not um, uh, shared here in terms of a link to that, but um, obviously mental health issues uh, have been um, uh, significantly um, uh, have come to the fore an awful lot more in, in recent months. And again, ACAS has set out some guidance in terms of what employers and employees alike should be aware of in terms of mental health matters concerning the pandemic and, uh, and working from home as well. Um, and then just the, the next slide, um, please. We then have just a link to um, BBC News. Other uh, websites are available, but I thought this would be quite useful. Um, do have a look at that. Um, this came out a little while ago, um, but I stumbled across it when I was preparing. Um, so do have a look at that. It's, it's interesting. Um, uh, and again, just going back to our points uh, in relation to um, health and safety at work, there is, of course, the Health and Safety at Work Act 1974. Um, an employer is responsible for an employee's welfare, health and safety, so far as is reasonably practical. As, lawyer, as lawyers, we know that that wording is typically vague and open to interpretation, but, um, but there we are, that's the, that's the wording and that's the, probably the main piece of legislation, I suspect, which will be, uh, which will be used and cited in the, the, the weeks and in the months ahead. Um, okay, I mean, I think what I've really, what I've sort of sought to, to conclude that little section on is to say that um, I think both employers and employees have to be um, prepared to try and work together um, and be as pragmatic as possible. Um, it is an unusual time, um, and I think uh, it's really important that you try and work with your with your employer if you're an employee. Um, I think what I would also say, something I've advised clients on, who are employees who are a bit disgruntled with things, um, now is not really a time, frankly, to be um, seeking to escalate matters and potentially lose your job. Um, and that's just a, a common sense comment, really. Um, so just, again, I think if, of course, if you have a, a genuine concern about returning to work, absolutely do raise it. And I've said there uh, that that should be raised in writing to the employer. So don't just have a telephone call. Um, if you do have a telephone call, then make sure you follow it up in writing so that it's properly documented. Because it means then that if, if matters do happen to go forward, you have a record of, of having raised your concern. Um, also there, I've said that, um, of course, should you wish to escalate matters and if your employer takes no action, then um, you could consider reporting to the employer, to the local authority or health and safety executive, um, or indeed raise a formal grievance. Now, all of those are fairly big steps. And again, um, could place a significant strain on the working relationship. So again, just, just weigh that up very carefully before you take that type of, that type of action going, going forward. Um, moving on then to, to our third topic, um, just moving through as quickly as we can. Um, so settlement agreements, so I, I deal with um, three or four settlement agreements a week, um, and that's probably increasing, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, we've got a couple of uh, large employers who, unfortunately, have made a number of redundancies in these past few weeks, 
Um, so uh, I'm seeing more of them. They used to be called compromise agreements. Um, the name changed rightly because uh, very often these are not necessarily agreements that are compromising a claim, but can often be the employer and the employee finding a, an amicable way to end the uh, employment relationship. Um, you, I'm sure, have heard of settlement agreements before. So briefly, an employer will ask an employee to sign a settlement agreement to waive any employment claims that they may have. Um, there's usually a list, a very long schedule at the end um, of, of these agreements which sets out all potential claims you could possibly conceive of. Um, it then says that uh, in the agreement itself there will be various payments that are made to the employee. So typically you will see contractual payments, payment in lieu of notice. Uh, often you'll see accrued on taking holiday, um, you'll see salary paid up to a certain time, um, and you'll also then see an ex-gratia payment of some kind which can be paid tax-free up to £30,000. Um, very often, again, in the redundancy situation, you'll see um, the ex-gratia payment will, uh, will include um, a, a, a statutory redundancy payment and may be, may be enhanced in, in some cases. Um, there will very often be an agreed reference as well, uh, which I will always advise clients is really important going forward. Employers these days don't tend to give opinions um, for, for obvious reasons, but I would always advise clients it's sensible to try and have something agreed so that we have a schedule to the settlement agreement whereby um, th there is then through that agreement a legal obligation on the employer to give that reference. As you know, employers do not have a legal obligation to give a reference. But if it's within a settlement agreement, then that becomes a binding document and they have to then agree to that. Um, I think with these agreements, the benefit to the employee is that, um, of course, there can, be, uh, there can be a reasonable settlement financially um, and it saves a lot of time. Um, tribunals are um, expensive and lengthy. Um, at the moment, um, I've seen cases that were due to be heard uh, sort of this month, which have been kicked back into next year. Um, you know, so if a tribunal claim is to be commenced, that won't be ended anytime soon. And also they're very expensive claims. Um, and you, know, you could be spending in excess of 10,000 pounds. Uh, you have no guarantee of getting that money back, even if you win your case. Um, so I would always try and advise um, employees to think about things pragmatically, as I would advise employers as well to see if a resolution uh, can, be, uh, can be fine. Um, Again, if there is a settlement agreement presented, then usually the employer will agree to make a contribution to legal costs. It's usually between 250 to 500 pounds plus VAT. It just very much depends on, on the, the employer. Um, just over the page, please. Um, uh, so if we go on to the next slide. Um, so again, um, it may well be that you, you've not heard of settlement agreements before, and it may be that um, either you've had a conversation with your employer, um, or this may happen whereby um, you're asked to have a without prejudice conversation with them or a protected conversation or an off the record conversation put in a number of, of ways. Um, and again, this, this is happening a lot at present. Um, those that, for example, have been on furlough are receiving telephone calls from their employer uh, saying, um, we, we feel that um, we have to try and uh, draw a line under matters and therefore um, without prejudice, we'd like to put forward this proposal to you. Um, uh, again, I've said, said there that I can see that in the, the months ahead, there will be an awful lot more settlement agreements. Um, it is for an employer um, a less risky way to end employment for the reasons that we explored in the first topic. If an employer was to get um, matters wrong in terms of going through redundancy process, etc., they could be at risk of an unfair dismissal claim. A settlement agreement stops that risk, and therefore employers do tend to favour that. Um, 
uh, again, unfortunately, the process tends to be very rushed. So uh, an employer will speak to an employee um, and say, um, here is a, a settlement agreement, go and take legal advice, you've got five days. Um, and that um, unfortunately happens an awful lot. Um, I, I think I would say that um, if you are, um, if you're currently in a position where you've had that conversation um, or you're concerned that that conversation might take place, um, you just have to weigh up very carefully. And I've said you know, previously as well, you really need to take advice from a solicitor um, or legal representative um, in relation to the contents of the agreement. Um, I, I am always very slow to say to a client, um, yes, let's, let's sign it off. That's the end of it. I don't think I'd be doing my job correctly if I did that. So um, what I tend to do is when I, when I see a client for the first time with these agreements, and we will go through it, we will, um, we will deal with any questions that arise and then go back to the employer and see if we can negotiate a better agreement. Because frankly, most of the time, um, the alternative isn't particularly good. Um, the alternative would be settlement agreement being taken off the table and could lead to termination of employment on much uh, less terms and I mean, we have to look at tribunal. Um, so I, I would say if you're seeing a solicitor, make sure that they do their job and they earn their money um, and they negotiate the best deal that they can, they can for you um, going, going forward. Um, so again, um, these agreements are likely to be a lot more common um, as a result of the current pandemic. Um, but just make sure that you approach it um, with your eyes open, do your research and make sure you take proper advice on it. Um, just moving quickly on to the fourth topic, which I can deal with quickly. Um, there is only one slide for this uh, because I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't exercise my mind too much on it, to be quite honest. Um, you may disagree and, and that's absolutely fine. Um, I think because of the government guidance, I'm not sure how many, I, I'm fortunate because I, I live about 10 minutes away from work, so I, I have a, a very pleasant walk to work. Um, but I'm conscious that many of you will have to use public transport um, and will already be wearing face masks from this week. Um, uh, from the 15th. So um, I think the question here is a valid reason for not returning to work, the risk of high infection through use of public transport. I, I think before the, the government um, uh, advice came in about face masks, yes, I think it probably would have been. I think realistically now it's, it's, uh, it's a less viable argument um, because face masks are to be worn. Um, I appreciate that there will be some who um, will feel more at risk um, and I think that if, again, if you did have concerns that said here, I think you should raise it with your employer in writing and say why it is that you wouldn't be able to travel on public transport. But I would just suggest that with the current guidance, I think very carefully about that, take advice before you do so. Um, but it's unlikely, I think it's, sorry, it's more likely that an employer would be less sympathetic, I think, to the argument um, that we say. Then, then just finally, um, our, our fifth topic, um, uh, which is again, Quite a broad one, racism in the workplace, uh, what to do if you believe that your employer is using the COVID-19 pandemic as a reason to discriminate against you. It's a really good question. Um, uh, I'm very conscious that with all that's going on, um, it, it is certainly on, on one view entirely possible that an employer may use the current pandemic as something of a smokescreen to terminate an awful lot of people's jobs. Um, and I think that we need to uh, have our eyes open to that. I think we need to approach it with a uh, healthy uh, cynicism, perhaps, um, but also know what the law says about it. Um, of course, we know that race is a protected characteristic under the Equality Act, um, and it is a topic in and of itself. I find discrimination law one of the most interesting, one of the most challenging areas of employment law, um, and I'm, I, I hope I'm learning all the time, but particularly in discrimination law, I always have to read and reread and reread 
and look at case law and try and understand. Um, one of the most difficult things, and I'm sure um, those of you in practice will agree, trying to fit the facts to the law in discrimination cases is really difficult um, because your arguments have to be really specific. Um, there was a time when judges, employment tribunal judges, would be quite sympathetic to arguments and would allow you uh, to do further and better particulars if you get it wrong the first time, which I often do. Um, now, I'm actually noticing a bit of a trend. We had a case a few weeks ago where a judge was particularly unsympathetic and said, well, I'm not going to give you the chance to do further and better particulars. The case hasn't been pleaded as it ought to have been pleaded. Uh, and that was it. Um, now, we managed to resolve it and we settled the case in the end. But um, it's just being very aware that this is this is a very, very complex area of law. Um, and just be really careful before you make any assertion um, that you consider you've been discriminated against. Again, take advice on it, think about it really carefully and make sure that you have um, uh, very specific, uh, a very specific factual matrix that will back up the argument. Um, I just referred you here to um, uh, the prohibited conduct. Um, so sections 13 to 27 of the Equality Act, you, you'll see um, there with direct discrimination, indirect discrimination, harassment, victimization. Um, it's very much worth having a having a read through those before you, you make any sort of assertions in terms of uh, any particular areas of law. Um, I, I just raised there in that third paragraph, um, uh, just being, again, uh, very careful about looking at the, the facts. So section 13 claim, for example, those are, in my experience, perhaps the most difficult claims to, uh, to, to bring. Um, uh, you know, have you suffered a detriment? If so, what is it? Um, have you been treated less favorably because of your protected characteristic? What is the comparator? Is it real or hypothetical? Um, also being aware of the usual, and this is perhaps one of the big difficulties, um, three months less one day from discriminatory act. Um, this, this can be one of the, the most challenging issues, I think, to deal with in terms of time scales and these sorts of cases. Um, be aware that if you have suffered a discrimin uh, discriminatory act of some kind, then um, your time limit is, uh, is, is three months less one day before starting ICAS in the first instance, ICAS the reconciliation. Um, the tribunal can, um, if it considers uh, just and equitable to do so, extend the time limit. But again, um, don't, always, um, don't always think that they necessarily will be, be very careful about that. Um, then I've raised points about sections 19 um, and section 26 there as well. Um, again, points to, to be aware of on section 27. So um, fact, the, the fact being fact specific is really important in these sorts of cases. Um, on to the, the next slide. Um, um, so again, I've said if, if you feel that this is being used as a, as a smokescreen, um, then how do you deal with that in the first instance? If you feel that in fact you're being discriminated against and it isn't, uh, and COVID-19 is being used as something the smokescreen. I've said that first of all, you raise, raise things informally with your line manager, um, have a, a conversation perhaps about what your concerns are. Um, if that doesn't solve things, then a formal grievance. Um, grievances are, um, if used well, um, they can be very effective. My experience of them, unfortunately, is that employers tend to become very defensive um, and don't actually use the grievance uh, procedure to, to resolve matters. Um, instead, um, everyone becomes a bit more um, obstinate sometimes in their position and can make matters more difficult. Um, if the grievance, you go through the grievance process and you're, uh, that is then exhausted, uh, you would then have to go to ICAS. Again, there's a link there to the ICAS early conciliation process, which you must start within three months less one day from the last discriminatory act. Um, ICAS are generally really helpful. They're very busy at the moment, which you must appreciate. Um, and they um, will, will try and, and deal with matters as best as they can. 
um, but uh, it's important that you, you try and move matters on yourself and just be aware of those of those particular time scales. Um, that is, is a very quick run through um, five topics that, that there's a huge amount of, of detail on things that we don't have time to, to go into. Um, but I hope it's been at least something of a starting point for you. Um, and uh, I know there's some questions at the end, but if you have any questions for me subsequent to this, and you, you do lots of reading and uh, you get lots more questions, then that's my email address. Um, and by all means, send through any questions to me, and I'd be happy to, uh, uh, to respond to you. Thanks very much. All right, thank you very much, Tim Granger. That was very helpful. That was detailed. Thank you so much. I wish we gave you more time, <laughs> but thank you. You've used the time very well. Thank you so much. All right, so for those of you that have just joined us, um, we have just heard from Tim Granger. He's our first speaker. We're going to be hearing from our second speaker, Esther Godwin, in a minute. And again, for those of you that have just joined us, this webinar is recorded. And it will be shown on our um, church website as well as um, on our church um, KTTV. So if, if you do not want to appear on that, you can um, switch off your camera. All right. And then also, um, if you have any questions, employment law questions, please put the questions on the chat. We will look at the questions during the Q&A session. And if you have any um, prayer requests in relation to your employment situation, please put those on the chat. We will um, pray into those situations during the prayer session at the end. So again, I know someone has just joined us. Um, thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, if you have any questions, please put your questions on the um, chat, employment law. We will look at them during the Q&A session. And if you have any employment law um, related prayer requests, please put on the chat as well um more people are joining us i'm speaking so but um mamia is putting this on the group chat anyway so and more have just joined but welcome everybody so we're now going to move on to the next part of this webinar and that is um esther godwin who is going to be speaking on um employment law thank you esther thank you and thank you very much i'm kensington temple lawyers for inviting me to um join you on this employment law webinar okay so a little bit about me again as in my name is esther godwins i am an employment law consultant and advocate as in i've been doing um employment law somewhere around um 10 years and um i represent employees i represent employers in the tribunal as well as giving advice on employment matters um and not just on um, matters of dispute also matters to do with um, contracts and um, service agreements with employees. So um, the topic that I'm handling, as in it's a short topic, and I'm going to try and keep it brief so that we can answer your questions. Um, and my topic is the rights of agency workers as affected by COVID-19. Now, as in um, some people, when you think of agency, as in you're thinking that you're going to an agency to now go and be employed for a company. Now, agency workers specifically have a contract with the agency so that's the the difference between just getting a job through an agency when you're looking for work somewhere and actually being an agency worker um under the law or in the eyes of the government so um in relation to what helps available how um the government is supporting agency workers then 
I'm just going to do some basics first, just so we're clear in terms of what you're already entitled to as an agency worker, in case you are one. And in terms of just doing the basics, as an agency worker, so you have your contract with the agency, you're entitled to the national minimum wage, um, you're entitled to um, protection against unlawful deductions, as in you're entitled to, generally you're entitled to um, holiday pay, as in generally you should also be entitled to statutory sick pay, as in some agency workers are not aware of that, depending on um, the, amount of, the amount of the salary you're getting on um, per week, but generally you should be entitled to statutory um, sick pay, particularly if you're a full-time um, worker with an agency. Um, in relation to, so moving on now, in terms of COVID. So if you're an agency worker and you've been working for a company through your agency for a number of um, months, as in, and the company, the end company, does not no longer has work. You are actually entitled to be furloughed. I don't know if that's if we have any agency workers on the on the line, but you are entitled to be furloughed, and it's the agency actually who would be applying to the government for you to be furloughed. Just to break down, although I I'm assuming everyone understands what furlough is, but it basically means your employer cannot currently have you working in the organization but you still can get a salary and the government has kindly you know in the circumstances agreed to assist um companies with paying their staff so and they've agreed to well up until the end of july and they've agreed um 80 percent of your salary so the government is covering 80 percent of your salary so your agency can actually apply for that in the event that you're not um, working or in the event that you're no longer able to work for the company that you had been um, working for. Um, other um, support that's available to um, agency workers is in, again, um, depending on the agreement that you have with, um, with your agency, as in, and if you can't work because of you've been affected by the virus, as in your shielding, you're, you're, um, you're, you've been advised to shield, of course, as in the assistance that's available is you are entitled to statutory sick pay um, as well. Mm, as what else to cover is, and I didn't do any um, slides for this, and it's, it's quite a brief topic. So um, just generally, like I've said, in terms of if you're an agency worker, you can be furloughed, so you can have your salary covered by the government, as in it's the agency that would apply for that. And you have to be a PAYE employee, as in I, I didn't mention that as before. So that's important. Um, additionally, all of the, um, or not all of them, but one of the main topics that um, Tim touched on in relation to discrimination, as in you also are protected in terms of discrimination if you are an agency worker. So if there's any um, sense that the agency or the end employer is discriminating against you, as in you are entitled to protection, um, like Tim recommended, depending on the circumstances of the case, as in, well, in all circumstances, do get in contact with a lawyer who can advise you and look at the facts of the case and just give you some assistance in terms of how to, in terms of next steps. 
Um, in relation to, I also want to touch on um, rights of contractors. So you may not be an agency worker, but you may be a contractor um, through IR35. So, um, and IR35 is you're essentially working for the government or working for a government agency, like um, a local authority or working for the NHS, but you're working through your you're working for an umbrella company and you are also entitled to um to claim um a furlough salary as in there is a cut-off point it's coming to an end actually as in um the first of july so if it is if you find yourself in a situation where you're not currently working um through the end time or through the end employer and organization as in now really is the time to discuss with them being furloughed or discuss it with your agency as in, um, and over to questions, as in, it's, it's, it's a brief topic. So, um, but yeah, that's what I just wanted to, to touch on regarding agency and providing supports. Um, there is one, there was one um, question that was asked by the team in relation to support that's in place for those who would like to return to work, as in there's a link that I'm just going to post in the chat in case you wanted to see the support that's available if you're self-employed as in um and i'm just going to post that in the chat for self-employed workers but if you do have any questions related to agency work if you do have any questions in relation to being a contractor as in put them in the chat and i'm happy to answer them and any discrimination related questions as well. It's an, it's an area that I deal with extensively um, in, in my area of practice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, Esther. So for those of you who have just joined us, we, um, we've heard from Team Granger, who um, spoke in more depth um, in relation to employment law issues. And we've also um, just heard from Esther who has just spoken to us in relation to um, agency workers and um, we are going to um, move on to the next part of our agenda now where we're going to hear from Esther Anna Totomelo she's going to share something on her heart and after that we're going to go into our Q&A session so um, we're going to be looking at questions your questions put your questions on the chat we will look at them and, and some of you have already emailed your questions through which we have forwarded to team and team will be dealing with those questions that were emailed to us um, during the Q&A session so we're going to start now with Esther Anatotomelo with a short message thank you Esther thank you Lola well this being an employment law webinar I'm sure most of you have at some point in your um, life, you've entered into an employment contract. And I guess for some of you, you've had very good employment uh, contracts and others maybe not so good. Uh, just brings to mind a friend of mine who was in a similar situation and he um, was desperate for a job, really desperately needed some work. And um, he was also on the verge of being made homeless. And he told me about his situation and we prayed and he said he all he wants to do is just make films. I mean, just give him a camera, tell him to make a documentary and he's happy. Um, and that's what he wanted to do. And we prayed for him because we knew that that's what he wanted to do with his life. And he was also on the verge of being made homeless. So he desperately needed a job. Well, one day before he was going to be made homeless, 
he met a friend of his who he hadn't met for a very long time. They got spoken and uh, the person told him that, well, I actually need someone to make lots of uh, documentaries and films for my project and asked him if he would be interested in doing it. Um, and not only that, the salary was incredible. Um, it was just, just so amazing. Um, it was way into over a hundred thousand uh, pounds to make a series of documentaries. Um, and on top of that, the employer gave him his penthouse in Paddington, zone one. And that came with a chef and that came with a cleaner and that came with all travel expenses and food as well included. Um, and if you want to talk about like amazing employment contracts, I think that one was probably the most amazing that I've ever come across in my lifetime. But, you know, thinking about these kind of contracts where you just get people who have the most amazing terms in their contract and the most amazing benefits. I was thinking to myself, what is the most amazing contract that I have ever heard of? And the most amazing contract that I've ever heard of actually is one that applies for all of us. But it's more than just a contract, it's a covenant. And you see, the difference between a contract and a covenant is a contract simply is just a legally, a legally binding document or agreement between two people, usually just signed um, on a piece of paper or can make, it can be made orally. Whereas in the biblical sense, a covenant is so much more than just a contract. It is an agreement between two parties more, but usually what happens is in order to ratify this agreement, there has to be the shedding of blood. And you know, about 4,000 years ago, when they wanted to make these kind of covenants, what they did was they would get these animals, Usually the animals had to be perfect, had to be pure, had to be spotless, had to be the best of the best. And they would cut these animals in half. It sounds very gruesome and very uh, not so nice, especially for those of us who are animal lovers, but that's what they would do. They would cut these animals in half and they would part them on a pathway. So they one side of the animal on one side of the pathway and the other side on the other side of the pathway. And what they would do is that the parties walking and entering into that agreement would walk through the pathway and they would basically be saying, if I break any of these terms of the covenant, let what is done to these animals be done to me. And that was what they would do. So a covenant always resulted in some kind of blood being shed and also death. So you must be thinking, what on earth does this have to do with you and I? Well, God made covenants with the human race. Thousands of years ago, when he created the world and he put Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, he gave them everything they could possibly want, they could possibly need. This was probably the most amazing contract covenant they could ever have. They had all the food they needed, all the water they needed, shelter. And they didn't really have to do much work other than just tend the garden. And God told them, just don't eat of this one tiny fruit tree. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And by disobeying God, what they were doing was they were breaking the covenant that we as a human race had with God. And what resulted from this covenant was there was a death. 
there was a spiritual death and there was a physical death. The moment that Adam and Eve broke their covenant with God, they began to die physically. Sickness entered the world. Depression entered the world. Murder entered the world. Every kind of evil thing you can possibly imagine entered the world. And worst of all, they experienced spiritual death. And spiritual death, it's about separation from God. And that's what they experienced. And that was probably the worst kind of death that they could have ever experienced in that time. You know, God so loved the human race, loved you, he loved me, that he decided that he did not want this eternal separation to be there. So God decided he wanted to make a new covenant with the whole of the human race. But we still had the old covenant that had been broken. And as a result, death and sin came into the world. And the only way these covenants could be nullified was that there had to be the death of someone, something pure and innocent. There had to be the shedding of blood. And unfortunately, because of all our sin, the blood of bulls and goats and animals simply wouldn't cut it. God had to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die and to shed his precious blood on the cross. Why did he send Jesus Christ? Because he loved us so much that he wanted to have a new relationship with us, one where there wouldn't have to be any separation anymore. And because Jesus was the perfect, spotless, sinless, child of God, only he could pay that price. And so when Jesus died on that cross, what he was doing was he was saying, I'm making a new covenant with all of the human race. And what he did, what made this most extraordinary covenant, the most extraordinary contract as we would understand it, is that Jesus took all of the sin that we had upon himself And he gave us all of the life and the glory that he had. So when we had shame because of our sin, Jesus gave us glory. When we have depression, Jesus came to bring us joy. When we have spiritual death in our lives, God, Jesus came to give us eternal reconciliation with the Father. When we suffer from poverty, Jesus said, I'm here to give you life and life abundantly. So when you think about it, Jesus took all of the bad things upon himself and he gave us all of the good things. And some of you may be thinking, well, I'm not experiencing all of these good things in my life. Well, I'm here to tell you that you can experience all of these things in your life. And how you do that is simply by just inviting Jesus into your life and saying, Jesus, I believe in what you did on the cross. I believe that you shed your blood for me to take away all of this sin, all of this pain, all of this hurt. And I want you in my life. I want to be part of this new covenant with you. And so I want to invite you. And there may be some of you who are thinking, well, you know what? I'm a Christian. I I know God. I would ask you, but do you have a real relationship with God or are you far away from him? If you feel and you know that your relationship with God is not what it could be, then I would also invite you to just say this prayer and commit your life to Christ again. So 
I'm going to say this prayer. And if you want to say this prayer, you can say it with me. And, you know, if you feel like I don't want to say it now, that's fine. You can say it, you know, whenever you feel like it later on today. And also you could just email us and we can give you more information. But I'm just going to finish off with this prayer and you can say it with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to die on the cross for my sin and for taking away all of the bad stuff that was put upon me because I was guilty and giving me all of the life that comes from you. I want to know you more and as best as I know how, I give you my life. Would you come into my life and would you take away all of the shame, the hurt, the depression, every single sickness that I feel, would you come and take this all away in Jesus' name? And you know, if you pray this prayer, we simply believe that you have now entered this new covenant. It's like you've been born again. You've entered a new birth, if you like. And so we're here for you. We want to support you and talk to you more about this gospel, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please email us on lawyers at kt.org and we will give you more information. We will pray with you and we will support you throughout this journey. And finally, I want to leave with you this amazing blessing that God gave us. And it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God turn his face constantly to be fixed on you. And may you, in this awful time of COVID-19, may God give you his incredible peace. Until we speak again, I'll hand over, over back to Lola. All right, thank you. Thank you very much, Esther, for that. Um, all right, so we're going to move on to our Q&A session now. And um, I noticed that some of you have posted employment law questions on the chat and, and some of you have sent them to us by email. Um, Tim Granger uh, is going to deal with the questions that were sent to us by email uh, now. Thank you, Tim. And over to you, Belinda. Uh, Belinda needs to be unmuted. Can you hear me now? Yes. Thank you, Belinda. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so we had some questions in uh, prior to the webinar and we've also had some posted during the webinar. Please feel free to continue to do that. We're going to attempt to answer as many questions as possible. Uh, if we do not get to your questions, we will respond by email after the webinar. So the first question we have is in relation to um, probation work. It says, how do period of probation work for, new, for newer employees that have not yet completed a year of service if they have been placed on furlough? Uh, that's a good question. I think that um, really it would depend on the terms of the contract. I would have thought that's been entered into between the employer and the employee. Um, uh, so in terms of, of a probationary period, um, that's not always something that is in every single employment contract. Um, uh, if it is, then I, I think the current situation is so unusual that very often boilerplate contracts of employment, um, uh, it's very difficult to um, interpret what's in there. 
and it would very often be, I think, a matter for the, the employer and particularly the employer to take a, a fairly pragmatic view if they could. Um, but I think uh, realistically, I would say that um, if an employer was not prepared or was slow to extend the probation period for an employee, then um, any sort of future tribunal action could lead to the employer being criticized perhaps for not taking a pragmatic and sensible view. Um, so I, I think, as I say, it depends on the contract, but I would suggest to an employer, if, if I was speaking to an employer, they should be sensible um, and should extend the probationary period um, if someone's on furlough plainly, they're not able to perform work, and therefore, um, I think the probation period should be extended. Um, and if they feel to do so, the tribunal may criticise them for not doing so. Okay, thank you very much for that. Uh, the next one is in relation to um, a, an individual's personal beliefs. So the question says: With the introduction of measures to combat to combat the spread of COVID nineteen in the workplace. Do the existing employment laws cover this area if one feels that any of the measures uh, isn't compatible with their beliefs? It's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think the position is, of course, that religion or belief is a protected characteristic. Um, and I suppose if there was something that was put in place by an employer, um, what we would call a PCP, um, uh, Practice Criterion Provision, which in some way indirectly discriminated against someone of a particular religion or who held a particular belief, then yes, under the Equality Act 2010, there would, I think, be an arguable, um, uh, things could be raised perhaps going forward. So I, th I think the current legislation under the Equality Act is pretty good for that. As we said earlier, it's a, um, there's a great deal of interpretation required in terms of how you um, apply the, uh, the law and the facts together, um, but I think not the fact that these are unusual times. I think the existing law is probably pretty uh, pretty helpful in terms of the quality of Okay, thank you very much, team. And just as a reminder to all of our uh, participants, the the comments and suggestions and um, guidance provided is really guidance. Uh, if you need further legal advice, if you need uh, uh, legal advice in relation to your specific uh, scenario, please. Uh, contact us and we can put you in touch with either Tim or other uh, law practitioners. Uh, we have to stress that we are just providing guidance during this webinar and none of the comments made should be taken as legal advice specific to your situation. Um, and on that point, we have a question in relation to discrimination on grounds of maternity. So the participant has asked, my company have announced that they will be making redundancies due to changes in the economy. Um, and reduction of forecast workload during resulting from COVID-19. Uh, there is a consultation period which commences soon and this participant is currently pregnant. Um, and they want to know, can the fact that they were due to go on maternity leave and therefore can't demonstrate that they will be contributing to uh, work during the 2021 financial year, uh, can that reason Make, make the employer select them for redundancy? Um, I think again, um, I, I, I'm sorry to hear of, of, the, of that situation. First of all, they've asked the question. I think the important piece of um, the Equality Act is section 18 of the Equality Act, um, which specifically relates to um, pregnancy and discrimination. Um, 
if you're treated unfavorably because of that particular protected characteristic, then, um, well, you have protection under the Equality Act in that regard. So I think um, the employer has to tread very carefully. Um, and I think that it may well be that my provision would be that um, if, you, if you, you were to be made redundant uh, for, for this reason, then um, I think absolutely it would be, it would be something to, to potentially pursue. Um, these are very unusual times is the caveat. And a lot of employers have to make very difficult decisions. But certainly I, I think that um, when compared to other colleagues, um, your Section 18 rights, I think, would put you, in my view, sort of at the top of the queue in terms of um, of, of, of not not being made redundant, I think that you have a stronger argument because of Section 18. So that would be the uh, that would be something for you to bear in mind and, and argue going forward. And, and Tim, does it make any difference if the person has been informed that they are at risk of being by by the HR that they they might be they're at risk of redundancy? Um, yeah, but it, it, it does in as much as I think, um, well, the employer has done what they need to do, so they, they, they follow the process. Um, but I think the important thing is for this person when they're to engage with the process, first of all, but to make sure that they're putting forward the correct arguments. So, for example, as they very helpfully put here, um, the fact that you're not able to contribute to, to the business going forward um, shouldn't be held against you because because of, of, of pregnancy and maternity. So, so I think... Uh, um, the, the employers done what they ought to have done. Um, that's fine, um, but it's a question of how far they take it and making sure that you challenge it and that you're you're clear with your arguments going forward. Okay, thank you. Our next question relates to the time allowed to pursue a discrimination case, um, and the question is why is the deadline for pursuing a race discrimination case three months and the deadline for pursuing most other cases three years? Of course, we know it's a bit longer for some other matters, but their concern is specifically in relation to race discrimination. Why is it only three months? Yeah, I, I agree. It's a very fair question. It seems very unfair, doesn't it? Um, unfortunately, it's what the law says. Um, it, it's it's really frustrating because, for example, if you have a you know personal injury matter, you've got three years. That's one day to, to issue, settle, whatever. Um, and I think it is unfair. Um, it is unfortunately what the law says at the moment. Um, and I think that what's really um, unfortunate very often is that um, if someone has been uh, discriminated against, they don't necessarily know what the law is. And by the time they take advice, it can be six months down the line and it's maybe too late. Um, again, Esther may be very well placed to deal with this because of her experience in discrimination, but I do think it's very unfair, but it is unfortunate what says at the moment. Yes, and I'll just add this, as in, even though there is a three-month time limit, as in, um, there are tribunals who have a discretion to extend time. So for discrimination case, then the grounds for um, extending time is whether or not it's just inequitable. So if you do find yourself in a situation where you do discover that you've been discriminated against, and that act of discrimination was three months or like four months previously, as in it shouldn't deter you necessarily from bringing a claim, as in discuss it with an employment lawyer and we will look at the facts and see whether or not it's still worth bringing a claim. But just because there is a three months time limit, it shouldn't necessarily deter you, as in I'm sure Tim's done cases, I have done cases where it's out of time and time has been extended. Yeah? Okay. Thanks for that. I, I suppose particularly if the... Uh, um 
the issue of discrimination is something that happened prior to the prior to lockdown. Um, certainly, it is worth exploring. So, so for example, if a complaint arose from an incident in February, for example, and we've been in lockdown for over three months now, um, certainly it's worth exploring whether you bring that case, even though the three month time has lapsed, isn't it? Yeah, and also as in um, the tribunal do take into consideration other matters such as your mental health at the time, as in um, mm. it, it may well be that you're simply just not well enough to consult a lawyer or to begin to explore what your employment rights are in relation to the matter. And then when you are well enough, that's when you initiate a claim. As in tribunals do have discretion to extend time. So um, don't let it deter you, even though there is a three months time limit. But if you are aware, about the time, don't delay, act promptly. <laughs> Thank you both Tim and Esther. So moving on, on a, another question related um, uh, query, it says, as the minimum years of service to qualify for redundancies two years, um, this, sorry, as the minimum years of service to qualify for redundancies two years, can an employer legally use your years of service as a fair criterion for selecting employees for redundancies if those with less than two years score less than those with more than two years uh, is that question clear or do you need me to clarify i'm not terribly sure if you understand the question i'll admit I'm yeah, I, think, I think what the person is trying to ask is if an employer has a pool of uh, at-risk employees and some of them are, I mean, I think automatically, as lawyers, we know that if they if they have less than two years of service, they won't qualify. They, they they won't qualify for redundancy payment. But I think what the participant wants to know is, can they be selected? Can employees be selected as an at-risk pool just by virtue of the fact that um, they have less than two years um, less than two years continuous employment? Um, well if I'm advising employers, it's very important that your um, your consultation process has a fair bit of logic behind it. And very often you've got scoring systems that are in place. Um, and therefore that may well mean that the particular scoring system does take into consideration um, lengths of service perhaps. Um, I, as you said there, ultimately, if you're less than two years then in any event, unfortunately you're not entitled to a redundancy payment. Um, so, um, Ultimately, the employer just has to look at the scoring system that that, that, that that it applies. Of course, there's the other. There may be other arguments. You know, if if you're put into a particular pool, um, there might even arise some potential discrimination arguments if, if you're being subjected to some detriment by that. So, probably have to think fairly carefully about that. I, I think I understand the question. Um, and it's a good one. Um, but ultimately, the employer has to has to look at its scoring system. If you feel you've been unfairly treated, then again, maybe take take some advice as to what it might be. And there may be another argument um, which would be connected to um, some other protected characteristic, perhaps, or or something like that. Okay, thank you very much for that. Um, we have one question in relation to zero contract hours, and the participant would like to know. Uh, and they say, I was employed on zero on a zero hour contract. I requested time off uh, at some point, And when I returned, my employer informed me that I needed to resign and then told me to, to I guess they withdrew that statement and then told me to wait. And I worked 
a couple of days and then I was placed on furlough, but I wasn't paid. And the reason for that, uh, the, the, the person was told that they didn't work enough hours prior to lockdown to be entitled, entitled to payment under the, fur, the furlough, well, the job retention scheme. I, I, I may, and I'm hoping I'll pass in the book, but maybe Esther's better place to, to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm looking at the question. I believe the question's from the iPad user. Yes? Yes. Okay, so um, in relation to whether or not, um, in terms of paying you um, under furlough, as in you are entitled to be paid under furlough if you're a zero hour, um, if you have a zero hour contract, as in they can claim from... Um, the government under the job retention scheme. Um, I was informed that zero hour contract was illegal. Zero hour contracts are not necessarily illegal. As in, again, it just depend, depends on the terms in your contract. So, um, and the advice is speak to an employment lawyer. So an employment lawyer can actually look at what your contract says to see what your position is and to see what type of employment status you have. Because you may be a worker, you may well be an employee. So, but in relation to whether or not your employer can claim under furlough, they can, as in they may not want to, as in if I'm being frank with you, because if your hours um, have been, are, are not consistent, it may be a little bit more technical for them to, for them to apply. So they may just not want to do the, administra the administrative work um, in relation to that. So that may be one of the reasons why um, they've, they've fobbed you off basically, but um, do speak to someone if you do want um, more concrete advice in relation to your specific um, case. Thank you for that, uh, team and Esther. Uh, we have a question on uh, holidays during the furlough period. Can an employer force someone to take their holidays during furlough? No. Uh, Tim or Esther? Um, uh, with, with a caveat attached to it, I think they can. Um, uh, and it's particularly because the, the first scheme has been extended not that longer till the end of October, it's likely to happen a lot more. But my, my, um, my recollection, um, and I, I'm very happy to be cut, but um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they, that they can, but I can't point you to chapter and verse for that. I can also, I mean, as, as in-house counsel, we've, we've had to do that um, in our company because the, the fear for the employer also is that all employees might decide to take their holidays in one month and then you have no workforce to work for you. So uh, yes, uh, an employer can ask you, obviously they can't ask you to take more than you would normally take in one particular period. So a week or two weeks, they can't ask you to take all of your annual leave um, during, you know, at, in one go. They have to be uh, they have to exercise uh, reasonableness as well. Yeah, and can I just add, as in like, if you are um, on furlough and your employer is um, saying that you need to take your holidays, as in they have to pay you your full salary. They will be your furlough salary um, during your holiday um, dates. So um, just, just so that's clear, because um, you know, some employers may try and pull a fast one, so it's important that you're aware of what your rights are in relation to that. Okay. And just one more general question, uh, please. How does the consultation process work for making someone redundant that is on furlough? Thanks. Yeah, we touched on that. We've got a thing to talk. Um, it, it, it's, it's a lot more, um, it, it is 
same process uh, that there would usually uh, be. So when you're on furlough, of course, your employer at any time can, can call you back into work. Um, so really, it's the same process. It's the employer saying, right, we're now starting a consultation process. Um, we want to set up a, a virtual meeting on such and such a date and to go through things with you. Um, so, so really, um, it, it is ostensibly the same. Um, but as I said, there are more sort of challenges to try and make that work in the same way. Um, but really, uh, an employer would just have to inform you that this is what they're proposing to do. You put that in writing, of course, beforehand, um, and then we'd, we'd start, the, start the process. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, so we have a uh, question that's related more to employers now. And it says, uh, if an employer only needs two of a team of five who are doing the same job, can the employer hold two out of, those, out of that team of five at work while leaving the other three on furlough? And is it possible to do this for uh, a period of five months or more? a good question. Uh, I think to answer part of it anyway, um, y yes, the employer could do that, but it doesn't look great. Um, you know, I think if you've got two at work and I think three on furlough, um, that doesn't, doesn't look particularly good because, it, you know, common sense would, would suggest that, uh, you know, those that are going to be kept on are those that have been in work and kept in work throughout the period of time. So the employer can do that. Um, but uh, again, it would be quite a risky thing to do. It could open them up to potentially an unfair dismissal claim going, going forward. Um, as to the five months aspect, um, I'm not sure if I can necessarily deal with that point. Maybe if someone can. Well, um, the job retention scheme in terms of furlough, it ends in October. So, um, it, so it depends on when you, um, the employees have been put on furlough in terms of when it started. So, um, so that would help you in terms of knowing the, the, the time frame. Yes, and also I think there might be some reluctance on uh, employees placing people on furlough from the end of August, I believe, because they then start, they become responsible for a significant proportion, whereas it was only 20% and it was optional to, to top up. Um, from August, from, I, I believe, it, they, I think they have to pay a quarter, if not more of that. So there might be a reluctance to place people on furlough for longer yeah. uh, than that. Um, I may I may just add just in relation to um an employer who wants to keep two at work and put three and have three people you know um furloughed is it, it is possible under the job retention scheme to to rotate the workers so if you haven't made your mind up about which employees you want to retain or whether or not um you are considering redundancies as in do be aware as you can rotate them but um I believe it's on three three week um periods and I think after just July change and um, also from the 1st of July you can also have them on part-time work or on shift work so it's possible to actually retain all five employees and have them working on a shift basis or um, part-time so um so those options are available but of course you know get in touch with the employment lawyers that can assist you okay thank you for that team and Esther uh, and our last question I'd say it's in relation to redundancy payment calculation and the question reads, how is redundancy payment calculated for those on furlough if the job becomes redundant? Um, 
Fine. So, yeah, in terms of your, um, as I said a wee bit earlier, there's a specific calculation for redundancy payments anyway. Um, I think probably the easiest thing would be to go to the gov.uk website, which is a really helpful website, which will just set out what you're, what you're to be paid. Um, ultimately, um, you are to be, uh, to be paid um, everything that you're, you're entitled uh, to. So in terms of redundancy payment itself, the fact, I think this is maybe what the question is getting at, the fact that you're on furlough won't have an adverse impact upon your redundancy payment. Um, so your rights effectively remain the same. Um, one interesting point, which actually um, maybe comes out of that, which I've seen a fair bit as well, is there's a, there's a practice of a lot of um, employees working their notice whilst on furlough or being, being told to work their notice whilst on furlough, and that can be at 80%. Um, and it's, there's not actually been an awful lot written about this recently, um, because of course, if you're entitled in the usual way to 100% of your salary, and you're on, in fact on, on being kept on 80% whilst working through your notice period, then um, that, in my view, needs to be challenged. Um, I've seen that quite a bit, actually, and employers are doing that a lot now. Um, and um, my understanding is that I think legally they are entitled to do that. Um, but um, certainly, I think it's important you check that. There's not a lot that's been, I've, I've raised it with a couple of colleagues, barristers, um, and it's always encouraging when they say we don't necessarily know the answer either. That makes me feel less daft. Um, but it's, it's uh, just a side point to be aware of. Okay, thank you very much for that. Um, so that brings us to, I mean, I don't know if our participants have any more questions, but we haven't got any more on the uh, chat. Um, we'll give you a minute or two to, to post any more questions. Um, in the meantime, is there, are there any general comments that Team or Esther would like to make in relation to the topics and, and the, the, the theme of the questions we've had so far? Um, I, I'll just say this, just in terms of encouragement, you know, if you are, um, you find yourself in a situation with your employer um, where there is, there does seem to be a lot of uncertainty, as in Tim did discuss this, as in he talked about settlement agreements and, you know, settlement agreements, as in it's not one-sided, it's not just if the employer um, raises it with you, as in you are as an employee able to raise it with your employer in terms of without prejudice to just see you know what the situation is so um so i i will say that um as a way of encouragement as in to that you can also take that action take those active steps as in if your employer is considering redundancies you can initiate those discussions without prejudice as in it doesn't necessarily have to be or oh, whatever the employer does as in you are also able to take proactive steps um, in managing the employment situation and to um, a get a, a little bit more certainty regarding your, your employment or leaving your employment. And all the best as well, as in if you do find yourself in a situation where um, there is uncertainty and there's, there's difficulty. Thank you. Thank you. Any comments from the team? Any additional comments? And no, I just agree with what Esther said, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's right to, um, to challenge any, anything in, in, a, in an appropriate way, to challenge anything that your employer says, um, not to be afraid, um, to seek appropriate advice um, and, and to put your arguments forward. Um, uh, yeah, so absolutely. Um, whilst these are unusual times, um, uh, you know, it, it's right that the law is, is, is there in place so you can raise particular arguments and, 
um, you know, it's always important, of course, I would say, to pray about these things too as well and, uh, and trust God for it as well. Thank you. Huge thanks to Esther and to team uh, for answering those questions. Uh, some of them you were put on the spot, obviously, uh, but I think that the, um, you answered them very well. So thank you. And uh, I'll hand back over to Lola to continue. I think one more question has just come in. We can take that last question. Oh, Thanks. has it? Okay, yeah. then I better listen. It's on your phone. <laughs> okay, so there's one question. Do employees have to sign an individual risk assessment uh, as part of the measures? Um, I can quickly take that question uh, in terms of the practice at, in my company. Yes, we have, we did provide health and safety training for the return to work. And we required all employees who um, undertook the training to sign that they read and they understood and they were satisfied with the measures that we had put in place. One of the reasons for this, of course, is that employees can refuse to return to work if they feel that the employer has not put in sufficient um, safety measures uh, to protect them during this period. And of course they can report to the health and safety executive as well, um, as well as, you know, as one of the, the reasons for return, refusing to return to work. So um, yes, a, a prudent employer should get their employees to sign, to sign off on um, the measures that have been put in place. I don't know what the practice is everywhere, but certainly that's what we've done in our company. Uh, Tim and Esther, please feel free to chime in. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, as you say, the prudent employer would to make sure they have those risk assessments in place and signed. Yeah, so I would agree. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Team Granger. And thank you very, very much, um, Esther Godwin. Thank you, both of you. You have been amazing. And uh, considering we um, have very little time to speak, <laughs> anyway, we have come to the end of this webinar now at uh, 12.30. However, um, if you want to stay on for another 20 minutes for prayers, we are, we are happy to stay behind for another 20 minutes to pray with anyone who has any prayer requests especially in relation to your um, employment situation. Um, we are, um, yeah, so we, but officially the webinar has now come to an end and a very huge thank you again to Tim Granger and to Esther. Um, and um, okay, so we're just going to have a, a time of prayer now. So if you'd like to stay on, please have the prayers with Daniel. Lola, before we, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I've had a few questions asking about feedback. Are we going to send feedback forms? Soon? Oh yes, thank you. Yes. We don't have, we don't have details. We don't have some people's details. Okay. Yes, in, in relation to feedback questionnaire, we're going to send, as I mentioned at the beginning of the webinar, we're going to send out um, feedback questionnaires to you. Uh, can you please complete the feedback questionnaire and return to us? We would very much love your comments. Uh, we're always looking for ways to improve and we'll welcome your feedback. Thank you very much. And if, if we do not have your email, please send us an email, send us your details by email so that we can send a feedback questionnaire to you. Um, for many of you who have registered by Eventbrite, we've got your email addresses and we will send a feedback um, questionnaire to you. So please complete them and return to us. We would really appreciate that very much. Thank you. Uh, 
If you haven't uh, registered by Eventbrite, just email lawyers at kt.org and we will then um, be able to get those feedback forms to you. And if you have any further questions and if you'd like the details of both speakers, um, again, please just email lawyers at kt.org and we will send you the details of both Tim Granger and Esther Godwins. Yeah. So for those whose email addresses we've got, especially those who have registered on Eventbrite, we're going to send you um, an email with more information and feedback questionnaire and um, links. Some of the links that team have uh, referred to, we will send those to you as well. Okay, so uh, we will now move on to prayer. Daniel. I'm, so, I'm just going to say goodbye. I would love to join for the prayers. I have another appointment today. Thank you. That I have to leave. Well, Amen. Uh, Thank you. Bye. Thank God bless you. everyone. Thank Bye. Okay. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Lola. Uh, we're just going to pray briefly as we don't have specific prayer points. Uh, I think one essential thing is that we need to pray for uh, job security and we have to pray for people's finances as well because uh, there are a lot of people who are uh, expressing fear of the unknown. They're not sure uh, what, what the future holds for them at the moment because of the present pandemic. So you're going to pray that God will um, speak to these people's heart and reassure them regarding their job, that he is there for them. That even in the midst of all the confusion and, and uncertainty, God is a sure helper. And if we do trust in him, he is sure going to make a way, like he's always promised. Uh, Father, we just pray for your children right now, and even those on this webinar, who may not know you yet, we just pray, oh God, that you touch their heart, that you that, 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 that you grant them peace in their situation regarding their employment. Uh, those who are expressing fear of the unknown right now regarding what future holds for them. Father, we just pray you reassure them that you cause their heart to be at peace, to be at rest, that you are able to meet them even at the points of their needs. And those who are concerned about um, how they will take care of their obligations, Father Lord, we know that you are able to make a way where there's no way, and you are able to make provision available to those who call on you. So right now, we're bringing these people before you, we're bringing their concerns before you, we're bringing their needs before you. I will pray you meet them, Lord, at their points of needs, and cause a way to be made where there's no way. And again, we're going to pray for the mental health of some people who, who, who are expressing anxiety, depression, regarding their situation. We just pray, Lord, that you go heal these people right now, that you touch their mind, that you cause them to be at peace, that any cause of worry, any cause of anxiety, that you take care of it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. For you said those that put their trust in you, you will cause their heart to be at peace. With you, to be at peace. So right now we ask that these people, these are your children, Lord, they be at peace right now in the name of Jesus. We pray peace upon their situation. And we're going to pray for those um, who are expecting financial breakthrough, those who've lost their job already, uh, those who are, are seeking new uh, opportunities for job. We just pray, Lord, that you open a way for these ones, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you create opportunities, that those who have lost their job, new openings, will be open for them, new opportunities, even better opportunities will be open for them. Just like we had testimony uh, during Esther talk about a friend who got a better job 
when he lost the previous one. You are able even to cause better opportunities for your children who are looking onto you, are trusting onto you right now. We just pray, oh God, make a way where there's no way in the name of Jesus. We just pray a blessing upon your people, Lord, that in the midst of confusion, you are with them. In the midst of the storm, you are able to calm the situation to favor your children. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. Thank you, Lola. Back to Lola. All right, thank you. I'm just going to uh, pray as well. And if any one of the team would like to um, pray, please feel free to do so. I just want to bless our speakers today, Tim and Esther. So, Father, I thank you for Tim. And I thank you for Esther, for both of them giving up their time to be with us this morning. And also during the week, preparing in advance for this um, webinar today, the time that they've spent in preparation and in speaking today. Father, we just say thank you for them. We ask that you bless them. We ask that you reward them mightily. And, and we ask that you just bless their family bless their home bless their work bless their business bless all that concerns them we ask oh god that they will um receive much fruits from what they have soon into our lives today lord we just ask that you also meet them at their point of need and you protect them and their children and their families and their work and all that concerns them lord in the name of jesus amen and father we also pray for everybody else on the team on, on the um on the webinar um, concerning the work situation and uh, anyone in particular was feeling depressed as Daniel prayed. We just pray, Lord, that you will strengthen their faith, that they will keep their eyes focused on you and not lose sight of who you are. Anyone was feeling abandoned. We ask that you just reassure them that they are not alone and that you are with them and are working with them on this journey. And we'll pray, oh God, for breakthrough uh, uh, for everyone who is struggling right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And God, I want to pray and specifically for um for those who are self-employed and those who are feeling as if their business is um get going under Lord God and they're struggling to get back clientele. Father, I just pray for them that you would be the God who provides everything that they need, that you will be the God to them who goes above and beyond everything they can ask for, think, or imagine. That in this time they will know you as the God who provides, the God who supplies the God who gives them peace, the God who gives them protection. I pray, Lord God, that you would give them new ideas on how to expand their business and how to make more money during this time. I ask you to give them strategies, Lord God, and I ask you that you will show them which way that they should take their business in Jesus' name. May they know that you are with them, your presence is with them, and as you said in your word, that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And I pray that they will come to know that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I just have one. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, we um, can. Just that the Lord um, really impressed upon me just now that he hasn't forgotten anybody. He really has not forgotten anybody. So, um, Lord, we just thank you for that reminder that you say you'll never leave us nor you will not forsake us. Father, and if there is anybody on this um, uh, this forum right now, or that they know someone who just feels that they have been um, abandoned or, or left or just forgotten, that the Lord says, you know, He He knows the very um, hairs on our head, the number of hairs on our head. That's how much, you know, He knows and He cares for us. So, please um, be encouraged that um, the Lord has not forgotten you, and this is why we put together these these forums because. As well as the word says, um, 
you know, if your brother is in trouble, we'll pray for them. But it also says that we need to provide practical um, ways to reach people. So it's not just a question of praying and saying amen and go, but that we point you to places where you can get advice and you can get um, um, guidance. So please do not feel that you're on your own or that the Lord has forgotten you because he is very much a God who is present, who cares and is able to send you help. Um, just as Esther had testified with her friend, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, thank you very much for praying. And again, thank you, team. And um, we've come to the end now, <laughs> officially, well, finally. And as I mentioned at the beginning, if you um, have any questions, please send us um, an email. If you'd like to know more, send us an email. We will direct you, signpost you accordingly. Send an email to lawyers at kt.org. We're going to send our feedback questionnaire to those who have um, sent us their email addresses and those who have registered by Eventbrite. And um, please complete and send back. Um, we will send you more information in relation to the links and um, signpost you to team and other places where you can get um, legal advice and further help. And that is it from me. Thank Lola, you. Yes. Can I just say one more thing? Yes. If, yeah. In if, relation to your message, Esther, please, can you add that as well? <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Uh, so I just wanted to say if there's anyone and you're looking for um, a group of Christians, you want to get to know more about God, please just email us at lawyers.org at kt. Um, lawyers.kt.org. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, if you'd like to know more about just being part of a fellowship group, we have lots of fellowship group in, in our church in Kensington Temple. And um, so especially during this time, a lot of people are experiencing isolation and feeling a bit depressed, you know, so we've got lots of like um, fellowship groups and they're basically friendship groups where you can get to know people. So if you'd like to know more, again, please contact us and we'd love to send you some more information and support you during this time. All right, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Esther. And again, the email address is lawyers at kt.org. Again, that's lawyers at kt.org. And we are very looking forward to hearing from you, especially um, if uh, you were touched by Esther's message and you'd like to find out more about working with God and um, having a relationship with God, please send us an email, lawyers at kt.org. Thank you, everybody, and um, have a good day. Thank you very much. <laughs>